Welcome to Sonic Talk number 320. We're recording today live on Wednesday, the 3rd of July. Um, oh, it's the 4th of July tomorrow, which is Independence Day, I believe. So I can um, say uh, with with some, some certainty that uh, that will be a day of celebration for at least one of our guests. Um, but I also want to say thank you very much to our sponsors. Obviously, we've got Isotope, who uh, are sponsoring the show. Um, we do have another competition, and uh, there will be news of the winner of last week's uh, competition and news of the next competition too. So, uh, first of all, I'll go to the said 4th of July uh, celebrant, and that is Mr Rich Hilton, who is actually... Well, where are you, Rich? I'm in Cornwall. Excellent. Whereabouts are you in Cornwall? At the Cornwall Hotel. <laughs> the, the only hotel in Cornwall. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true, but it's funny because when the driver asked us last night where we were staying and we said the Cornwall Hotel, he said, really? <laughs> like he didn't know that such a thing existed. Ah, uh, brilliant. It's the hotel that's representing for the whole of Cornwall. I hope it's up to scratch. It's really beautiful here. Fantastic. Rich, of course, um, you were at Glastonbury at the weekend. Uh, we talked about Glastonbury previously and had some great festival tales. And we watched with envy, I certainly did, um, your performance at uh, on, on the West Holt stage, formerly the Jazz World stage, uh, with Sheik and Nile Rogers. And I, I think it's fair to say you absolutely rocked it. And it was one of those very special Glastonbury moments, which I think I predicted, I'd like to say as well. So how was it? Oh, it was great. It was really exciting. We had a wonderful time. I thought we played well and uh, were incredibly well received. Yeah, there was there was much much um, waxy. There was the, the the notices were fabulous. I think the Guardian guy, I uh, forget the quote, but it was a brilliant quote about something about the the perfect pop executed perfectly by a fantastic band. Something along those lines. Well, I can't confirm this personally, but the guy who drove us here from the Bristol airport, told us that he had heard the festival founder and director on the air saying, and I mind you, I'm quoting here, that it was the best show ever at wow. Glastonbury. Is what he, he said this on the radio in England, apparently. He didn't wow. say it to us. He said it on the it radio. It wasn't like he was buttering us. Yeah, it wasn't like he was buttering us up or anything. We Short, weren't even there. Shortly before adding, and Rich Hilton played the best keyboards I've ever heard in my entire life as oh. well. I know that. <laughs> it, looked, it looked great. And that moment at the end where they... Uh, where they just sang back um, the Daft Punk track. That was pretty... I mean, I know it's not a chic record necessarily, but that must have been kind of... That seemed like a very beautiful moment as well. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, sort of the show ending these days because of the popularity of the song, and people love singing it. Fantastic. Well, Rich, I'm glad you had a good time. I'm sure... Uh, uh, feel free to drop any sort of Glastonbury anecdotes in uh, throughout the show. I mean, we're happy to hear it because it sounds like it was a hoot. And also... The fact that it didn't rain, just awesome. Well, not much, anyway. Awesome. Yep. Great weather, beautiful crowd. It was immense. I mean, uh, another tidbit that got to me that, again, wasn't delivered directly to us, is that in the past, they limit attendance at that stage to 10,000, and they let 25,000 people in for the show. Into the arena. Wow. Nice. 
That's great. Absolutely great. I think they should have just stopped yeah. everything else because you were up against Portishead and the Arctic Monkeys, which are two kind of heavyweighters. And by all accounts, everybody played a blinder, but I think you pipped it. So, well done. Anyway, thank you very much, Rich. And also we've got Dave Spears, who's there in his lair. In his lair there. How are you doing, Dave? Dave Spears, course, g4software.com. Make some fine right. musical instruments. Virtually. Yeah. Yeah, virtually. Um, almost. No, um, yes, definitely. Yeah, no, I watched that as well. It was a blinder, a blinder. And it's and what's, I was sat with another musician actually watching it at home and uh, he said, you know, what's absolutely amazing about that set is that it really did span the generations. And in fact, the, the last time this particular musician had made that comment was when we were watching Stevie Wonder a few years ago on the stage, so... I thought that was pretty high praise indeed. Excellent. No, that's good. I mean, you know, we're all insanely jealous that you got to be a part of something so, you know, so special. It's like out of body to me. So am I. (laughs) You know, it's like... (laughs) And did you play the Eden Project last night, was it? Yes, we did, yeah. That looked pretty spectacular. That's an amazing place. It's a beautiful setting. Unbelievable. And a really great crowd. And... Uh, we had fun. It's been Super- a great tour. Superb. I've got Mark Tinley of all people, so I'm going to go and get him now because he's uh, he's a he's arrived. So that's brilliant. So I'll just, um, of course, uh, if you've been watching live or if you haven't watched live before, sonicstate.com forward slash live, where you can see a live video stream and, and there's a, a chat room and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, we have all everything. And now we've got uh, Mr. Mark Tinley, who I'm going to attempt to uh, bring into the show. By pressing this button here. There he is, Mark Tinley, who uh, is also a regular guest. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com, sound artist, uh, amongst many other things, creative thinker, all sorts of stuff. And um, I would like to say hair artist as well, because every time I see you, you have a different sort of hair. So that I'm going to include that in your credits too. Yeah, I've got a bit Morrissey today, haven't I? Yeah, I was slightly. Just talking to Nick Rhodes, actually, and I said, when you do Duran Duran the musical, Who's going to play me? And he said Donny, Johnny Depp would be the right choice. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure about so that. Are you, so is your hair, are you making your hair more like him so that he'll definitely play the part, or is it just a sort of natural gravitation? I don't know. I think he's a bit short, isn't he, actually? It doesn't matter, Actor, it doesn't matter how short actors are. I don't think that okay. if there's ever any problem, they've got things, they've got boxes Special. and things. Special lenses and everything. They Have do, they got yeah, a they've... lens that will make him as good looking as me, though? That's the only thing I'm really, really worried about. Um, I'm sure they'll be able to work with it. <laughs> the chin? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I watched the Mighty Boosh the other day with the Brian Ferry thing where he's got that cardboard chin on. Can you remember that? I don't think I saw that one. Mighty oh. Boosh, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a very surreal comedy. If you get a chance to see any of it, check it out on YouTube. It's yeah, absolutely it brilliant. Fabulous, yeah. Really, really good. Right, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking around. I'm just trying to make sure everything's going to work. Anyway, Mark, thanks for joining us. Um, we should get on to a new topic, or a topic even, um, as we can. Right. Um, ah, yes, this is web-controlled analogue. Um, now, how would you do this? This, is, this was the... Uh, let me just see. I've got it here somewhere. This was something that uh, was on... Um, I, I actually came to it. This was it's called Analog à la Carte, and this was an article on uh, Create Digital Music, Peter Kern's excellent uh, website. And the idea is basically you ho- he's hooked up this a bunch of machinery, including a Raspberry Pi. I'm pleased to see, plus um, MS Twenty Mini. Well, actually, um, what's the thing he's got? A shru- uh, I think it's a Shruti. 
which is a sort of a kit, a truth, a truthy. And you can basically go online and you can uh, log in with your Twitter. You can draw, you get these sequence bars and you make your own, um, your own sequence. Here's one I made. It was pretty crappy. I'll play that again. The tone is fairly random and you don't get any control over that. But it's an interesting idea, this whole kind of analogue controlled from the web. I know we've sort of discussed it as a, as a possibility. It's like utilising this sort of, uh, the idea of being able to kind of, th these massive modular systems. The only thing we've got to get figured out is the patching, because obviously that has to be done by a human being. Um, did you get a chance to look at this, uh, uh, Dave? Because I know, you know, you are an analog fanatic and you've got a bloody massive dot-com modular behind you so i'm guessing this is something that might have thrilled you slightly uh yeah the concept thrilled me the execution <laughs> underwhelmed me <laughs> underwhelmed well I can, I can fix that a um, little bit but um but yes carry on no no it was just interesting you know obviously the first thing i did was put it out to john and say so they do this then, and he said, "Actually, there's, there's a number of ways he'd do it." But he said his suspicion is he's just got a sequencer type thing on the Raspberry Pi, which produces control voltage, and then all you need to do is transfer the sequence from the web server to the Raspberry Pi, and that is what I suspect is all there is to it, really. Oh, did we mention this last week? Am I having deja vu? Oh, God, I hope not. That, that, that it's been on the show know. notes for a few weeks. Yeah, it has been it? on the show notes, but never got around to it. But I, d I tell you what I did find, even better, because um, I'm, I'm sure none of you are particularly excited about the execution of this particular one, but check this one out. This is a slightly different one. There's a video to go with this. Uh, I'll start with this. This is, um, this is Paradiso Synthesizer, which is by a chap called Joey Par Paradiso who's at MIT. I'm Joe Paradiso from the MIT Media Lab, and uh, this is my uh, synthesizer. I started building it around 1974, 75, and I finished more or less in 1985, 86, 87. It's probably the world's largest homemade modular synthesizer. A modular synthesizer is very different from almost any other kind of music synthesizer. I won't play the whole thing, but he, what he's done is he's created a web interface for uh, for it called, uh, and it's called uh, synth.mit, synth.media.mit.edu patchwork. Uh, and you're supposed to be able to hook up and connect. If I type my name, I, unfortunately, I couldn't get this to work, which is really frustrating. So I don't know whether it's offline at the moment, but he's obviously figured out a way to hook this up and allow you to either control it or view it and you get to hear the, uh, the I.O. of what's going on. Um, just like the idea of it, I know, Rich, you did a lot of um, synthesizer sales back in the day. I'm not, maybe, I don't know, so much modular, but do you think there's a, there's a possibility that this could work? If you, you'd have to have everything patched together and then just some sort of uh, recall system, which was sort of might defeat the object a bit, but I don't know. It could be fun, right? Well, it could be. It, it, I mean, it does work to the extent that he's providing a sequencer interface for you to provide him note information that he then programs but i think the limitation here is that you don't really get to participate in the creation of the sound yeah and what you're giving up in order for that to be the case is the is the analog digital thing where rather than launching a oh somebody's digital mini mode who, who might, I be, might I be talking about? You'd have to have the real thing next to you, but you don't get to program it. 
And for me, the differences between the analog Minimoog and the digital Minimoog mean less to me than my ability to affect the sound that's being produced. But, But in this era of much analog romance, I can see the appeal for this because it offers hardware to people who wouldn't otherwise get to control it. Yeah. It reminds me, I'll tell you what, it reminds me a little bit about that time we were talking about the studio in Berlin where they kind of um, could just use the stairwell and the rooms when it was closed down. You could just pay to have your stuff fired into it and then have a file back and it would do that. I mean, something along those lines might... But yeah, I, I think uh, in the chat room, um, it, uh, it would be a question... I'm trying to think, what about Leighton? They, uh, Omnipulse said uh, they need a patch robot. So we could have something like like a picker, like you get in those kind of massive Toman warehouses that just sort of a robotic arm that kind of went dink, dink. That I mean, you could probably watch that for hours in the same way that in that bizarre way that people post YouTube videos of themselves playing video games and they get massive numbers of hits. There's something obviously quite engaging about people wanting to watch that. So maybe maybe it would kind of work from that point of view. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? Would you would you was that the sort of thing you'd watch? You think modular well, TV? People patching modular synths, I'm not sure about that, but you're right about the YouTube videos and the games because that's exactly what my son is doing right now. And he was watching one yesterday and it had something like 250,000 hits or something. And I was like, what? That, that guy's reviewing that thing and he's got all those hits. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Um, I think, I don't know, I think this would be very useful, for, but... Um, Educationally, perhaps? In terms perhaps? of things that, are, things that are kind of set up, things that you could call... I mean, things like... I mean, I want to put AMS digital reverb on things from time to time just purely because I like that reverb unit. And if you would want to try and buy one off eBay, you're going to pay 2,000 quid. I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I do like it, and I want to be able to... But I'd want to be able to choose the program that I was going to be able to put things through. And if I could just upload a WAV to the internet and process it and get it back again, so specifically, like, DMX drum samples or snares and things to get that kind of big 80s thing going on, then I'm, I would probably... I would probably pay for that service, and it wouldn't be that hard to set that service up if you had an AMS, because you just have to do a whole load of batch processing, like WAV file arrives in this folder, right, send it here, process it, put it in this folder, send it back to user. And I guess he must be doing something like that with his um, sequencer. He's just basically taking the sequence information, turning it into MIDI somehow, as Dave said, probably just feeding it into the Raspberry Pi, putting it through the synth and sending it back out. But yeah, I yeah, there is a, there is a, an article. I mean, does co- get covered um, what what's actually happening on the uh, the Create Digital Music? Um, but it's very hard. There's, there's very little other information apart from that web interface, which is kind of sad. I, I'd quite. I, I, I mean, I tried it as well, and I sent something to it and played around with it for a bit, and thought, yeah, that'll come back with something interesting, and it just came back with this really, well, cheese. I wanted to get a squelchy sort of you know, vibey sequence back so I could make some, like, wild gay disco or something. <laughs> I got, like, back, and I was like, no, that wasn't what I was after. I was after dong, 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 dong. Yeah. Know, driving and exciting and, uh, uh, you know, but no. It's a bit, uh, it is a bit like a sort of random patch generator. You don't know what you're going to get back and the interactivity, but I'd really love to see what the, uh, what this, um, the patchwork um, can do because that does look a bit more interesting and they've obviously got control i don't know because it just says connecting the whole time so i'm guessing it's still early in the morning maybe they don't uh, don't haven't turned it on yet 
So, right. um, you know, so it's not. Or it's a person, isn't it? It's a person behind the scenes running around, going, <laughs> where, where, where? Hang on a minute. Oh, oh, bugger, wrong place. It'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. If we said, if we said to you, Dave, right, we want to see that thing behind you online and to be able to interact with it. I mean, how would you do it? If you had to think, if you had to think of a solution to getting that thing online and making it interesting for people to interact with, what would you do? That's the oh, a word. You've got to really come up with some kind of automated patch by haven't you? That's the, the only well, way there, to there do it. Actually, we did a review of, um, there is uh, an SSL one, which is expensive. It's a 16 by 16, and I'm not sure if it handles CV because it's not, um, whatever it has to be to do that. But there must be a way to do that. Could you imagine, like, listening to what people are submitting via the web? It would be, like, worse than listening to somebody's dreams, wouldn't it? Or, you know, somebody described their dream. It would just be, like, continual... It would just be, like, living in purgatory, I think. I've got Gaz uh, trying to get online. I'm going to see if we can get him uh, quickly as well. So we've suddenly gone from a... From a one-guest show to a full compliment, which would be fantastic. So let me just uh, see if I can get myself back to... I'm guilty. I think I'm guilty of the worst <laughs> internet crime ever, and that is tweeting my dreams to the internet. Hello? Gaz Williams, we have you over there. You have to speak, and then you'll end up in the... the you know, you'll be in the box. Hello, 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 hello. Can you hear me? I can, but for some uh, reason... Uh, yes. I'm, I'm having... Uh, I've just got to, to uh, adjust myself... Why is that then? That's interesting. Um, so if I... Yeah, so sorry to be joining late. I didn't think I was going to be able to make it today. So That's uh... all right. Gaz Williams, yes. uh, if I do that there, then you will, while I adjust you, you'll be able to, we'll be able to see you. Gaz Williams, of course, um, on tour with Carl Hyde, amongst other things. Well, not at this precise moment, obviously, but uh, <laughs> looks like... Look, uh, I'm just going to try and... Uh, I've got to, hold on, I've just got to... I'm trying to grab the corner... There we go. I've just got to mm. grab the corner of this. This is my high-tech... Uh, switch it. There we go. There's Rich Hilton. Uh, uh, so, yes. I've just had... I've just been for a meeting, actually, with a, a drummer called Jed Lynch, who's Peter Gabriel's drummer, who I should be playing with soon. So that was really nice. Ah, yes, got you. Yes, no, so that was Jed, cool. Jed's you, know, you, you know Jed, don't you? I do know Jed, yeah. He was uh, one of the Goldfrap. Uh, uh, yes, we were just talking about the analogue um, uh, analog stuff. Uh, but I think we've probably exhausted that. But the, you do check out, if it's possible, get to synth.mit. Let's see if I'll post this in the chat room and then I can stick the link under the show notes. synth.media.mit.edu uh, patchwork. There. There we go. Uh, do check it out, but the idea of having being, having access to the electronic... I think, your, Mark, your idea, of which we've talked about before, of having uh, online effects that you can run stuff through, things like Quantet Room Simulators and uh, maybe the, 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 the you know classic stuff and, and EMT plates and things like that, and acoustic spaces is probably the best use of this kind of technology because it's... I think that's a brilliant idea. I think the, the problem with um, electronics is it's far... A modular certainly is far too complicated. Mm. Maybe... Plates, well, or maybe what you could do is uh, at least have, uh, if you have, maybe what they should do is put the Schmidt online <laughs> and you could just change patches. So it's just full of loads of brilliant presets and then you can play your thing into it and it will send, it will come back. And then, then you could, you know, that might be an idea. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pure modular is going to be a bit of a nightmare. Um, uh, oh, so, oh, go, I was going to say about, 
just about a plate, really. Mentioning a plate, it's sort of one of those things that uh, when you actually use a real plate, um, you know, which is increasingly rare uh, to see them. But when you actually use a plate for real, you just think, oh, it does have an extra, it does have that extra, yeah. oh, factor. Yeah, and a spring as well. Oh, I know. I- I know that um, uh, when uh, Will Gregory uh, worked with, he got an EMT Goldfoil 140 and uh, an AKG BX something or other, which is like a spring that's in a sort of cabinet. And both of those are just constantly plumbed in. They do have something that is uh, is very uh, indiscernible, you know, is different to uh, to the rest of the world. I mean, you definitely... BX15, thank you, Ed. When I worked in Beethoven Street many, many, many years ago, um, my friend the engineer sean chenery said let's put this through the spring reverb and i was like well where is the spring reverb and he said oh it's upstairs and we had to go up they got the emt plate upstairs and that looked like tnt it was this massive box with this huge lever on top and when we wanted to change the reverb time we had to go upstairs and pull this big lever (laughs) but the the spring reverb which was also an akg spring i think was bigger than the wardrobe that I keep my clothes in in my bedroom. It's this massive, massive, great big, like, dark wood thing. I think you can move pickups on that as well. It's got a couple of dials that... um, I I want it! (laughs) You're getting the urge, are you? You need a bigger house. I think you can still pick... They are huge. I think you can still still pick them up. I mean, they definitely do do come up, but I imagine, you know, they have to be... uh, They they are cabinets, you know, they're wood pieces of, you know, they are pretty nice. Uh, when I did the, uh, the that Rumbelows, the surf band I play, when we did the album, and we used a, like a Fender valve spring unit. It looks like a looks like a like an amplifier, but uh, it is oh, it sounds fantastic. We just put everything through it. You know, we just used it on a on an auxiliary send, and uh, no, it's just that you know, as good as the emulations are, just the real thing. You just oh, as much as it's. It just does exert a certain something, doesn't they're, it? They're amazing know? when you see them because they've got these kind of giant pole marks that they've got that you you basically have to get two poles, one either side, and you get they're like carried like a massive sedan chair in and out of the building. It's absolutely astonishing um, the way that, that that they have to be transported. And yeah, quite often, uh, quite often, what happens is the um, you put them in the building, the building changes, and then you can't get them out again, which I think is probably why they're so rare, because they just probably get bricked up <laughs> rather than dismantling, <laughs> I mean, dismantling them. I've never seen what they look like inside. Um, so, uh, well, anyway, that was a great idea, um, and we'll, um, we'll come back to it another time. But right now, I think we'll go on to uh, setting up... Li- yes, here we go. This was an article by... Uh, we re- recently had a blog post by a guy called Alan McClellan, Adam McClellan, who just... Uh, basically posted uh, 10 tips to uh, speed up your workflow in Ableton, which seems, you know, it's a fairly, you know, but it actually, so anyway, it got me thinking a little bit about how you set up your kind of default, default. Where do you go? What are the first things you reach for when you're going for workflow? Like for me, it's, I have a set of key commands that I try and use uh, across all sorts of things. So that's the thing that I first will do is I'll go to the key commands so that I've got some sort of consistency across um, ac- across various software, and I don't know what anybody else does. Um, perhaps, Rich, are you there? Are you receiving us? I try to learn each thing for what it is and not ask it to duplicate what the other thing does. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So you work to it then, generally? Exactly. Huh. Rather than try to force it to work to a workflow that I developed somewhere else. 
Do you find that easier? I mean, I find that hard to then try and recall all of those uh, various different ways. I'm constantly funny. I've been working in logic recently. It's not easier, but it's more effective. Right. Uh, that's an interesting concept, actually. I, I try, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing I kind of go the opposite direction. Um, what about you, Gaz? Um, mm, yeah, I might be a bit more with Rich on this one. Uh, I, I have saved uh, my key commands, uh, and I have tried sort of bringing them in to another piece of software, but I generally find that it's, uh, well, I find that that can sometimes be counterproductive. And a good example of that would be something like, uh, if you use reason, sorry, if you use Reaper as well as another thing, like I'm like, I use Reaper a lot for, um, live recording, um, when I'm out in the field, that kind of thing. And, you know, Reaper has got this, very different workflow. Reaper is a is a toolless is a toolless um, door, you know. So you don't use like shortcuts to swap to the scissors and do all that kind of stuff. It's much more to do with uh, mouse gestures and where you position things. So so that negates being able to do key commands. Some key commands play, stop, record those kind of things for sure. But um, y- y- you know. And Ableton Live again has a completely different workflow than than all not all the rest. And one thing I have done though is that um, one of the uh, controllers that I've got for my iPad, uh, what's it called now? The one that's uh, that that it's like a Mackie controller. What's it called? Um, Touch door. You, no, no, no. Um, this the, like it was the first one that did it. Uh... Like, it, 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 it it's like a Mackie Huey. It is. Um, so I have used that. AC7, um, that's it. Thank you, chat room. AC7, thank you. Thank you, Ed. Yes, AC7. Uh, and I've used AC7. I've used AC7 because AC7 just uses the Mackie protocol. So, and that is actually a very good app. Works very well. Um, so, yeah, I've used that, and that's, and that's been helpful for those situations. But, uh, but as Rich says, I think, you know, the doors do have their kind of quirks to them and uh yeah what works on one doesn't necessarily work on another no i Um, suppose i just try and kind of do things like okay i want start stop play cycle jump to locator one left right uh split the pattern at a certain point just really sort of basic patterns so that the real fast everyday things that i would use i like them to be the same across as many as many software packages as i can uh, and that definitely makes a difference to me i mean i do do dave spears do you find that you because i know you work in logic a lot but you presume you have to test in a lot of different environments do you bother to customize them so that you can kind of get a continuity yourself i mean what do you tend to do uh I'm sort of half and half on this. We kind of we do have a bit of a philosophy that you start from the ground up with everything. So when I am introduced to a new door, it's like, okay, so how does this work? What's the philosophy behind it? And how can I extract the most out of it? And, of course, I work on an Apple. So you can guarantee that if you're working on a Mac, something will come along at some point and totally screw your life up. For example, when I moved in here, I got a glass desk, which I explained before, which then negated the fact that I, could, I couldn't use a mouse because the mouse wouldn't track on the glass desk. So I bought the Magic Trackpad, which made my OS, uh, all the windows, scrolled in the opposite direction to you, my laptop. Uh, you can fix that, though. 
Yeah, which I managed to fix. So there was another kind of, you know, hour set up. And then I and then I went out and bought the little mini keyboard, which of course there's an extra button down here, which means that all my key commands for logic were kind of one button out. So that kind of took a day of relearning. In fact, Gem and I were kind of laughing about that. So I think it's a kind of mixture of both. You try and coax this stuff into the way you work, but ultimately it controls you. And actually the other day I received a build of something which is only a Mac VST. So aside from using it in live, I thought, right, I better just test this in Cubase. So I loaded up Cubase 7. My God, I realised I was completely out of touch with all things Cubase, which is ironic because that's kind of what I started on in the Atari days. There was so, In fact, I got so close to calling Gaz and just going, Gaz, talk me through how I... And I can't even remember, remember what it was, but it was like the most simple thing. And it was like, I don't know how to do this. So the experience of having to relearn that is always kind of valuable, if a bit irritating at times. And what, but, but, so, yeah. And what do, you, what do you tend to go for next? I mean, do you have sort of default setups, of like various plugins you use? Obviously, you know, you've got your default patches or your init patches and things. I mean, what's your next kind of protocol past the key commands? What then is the thing that you like to set up so that it's, you know, it, it comes back how you want it to be every time? It kind of, I mean, it really does depend on what I'm working on. If I'm working on an instrument, then obviously we have to test kind of every aspect of it. So it'll be things like automation and all of those things. And then from that, I can set up a kind of test regime to make sure that everything's <coughs> functioning as I would expect it and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, probably automation would be the next big thing. Oh, that's interesting, yeah, because t- that's the other thing. I, t- I have a, a, I can't remember what they are now, but a toggles for doing read, write, and touch and off, you know, so you've just got... And, and these are all things that I suppose that you can actually, uh, you could do with controllers as well. I don't know, Mark, what about you? Because, I mean, you're a logic guy, but you also have to use Pro Tools, use Fruity Loops, you all those things. Do you try and go for continuity? Uh, I'm now extraordinarily lazy about the whole thing, and I... After I've installed the program, whatever the key commands it comes up with are the key commands that I'll just go with because I went through a phase of customizing, was it Windows? Yeah, and you know, having a nice desktop and making sure that every single key command that I had was all in like kind of alphabetical order and relational. And then, and I just found I spent so much time messing around with all that stuff, and even to the point where. Even when I did that, I couldn't remember the key commands. Um, I kind of figured that, um, and then I'd end up using the mouse. So, so my uh, my workflow is enhanced by one of those keyboards that has the coloured keys that tells me what things are. So, if I want to use the key commands, if I want to use the key commands, then if I change them all around, that keyboard's not going to work properly anymore, is it? And then the other thing I've got is... Um, or if you use a different piece of software, it's not going to work either. So I, I No, I know. It's, well, it's set up for logic. Right. I, I had a, I, so I'll just say I've got another thing called a Novation something or another, which has got like a, a slidey thing across it and lots of knobs on it, and it's supposed to auto-map. Oh, that yeah. Okay, well, it. let's not get started on that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I never, ever touch it. I just go and click something with the mouse and if I want to assign a controller to something I'll, I've got the vSynth now so I just assign one of the assignable controllers or the XY pad but okay so here's what I but the most important thing is to get used to your working environment so whatever your working environment is once you've got used to that 
then you'll work fast anyway. And yeah. So I've got a new laptop, and my experience of the new laptop has been that the trackpad felt really weird compared to the last laptop, and then the buttons on the trackpad are in a slightly different place, and all the key layout, and it took me a while to get faster at typing and all that sort of stuff. But when you get used to the ergonomics of something, you just instinctively know where everything is, and then you reach for it. And yeah. on Sunday, I went and I visited Mike Gregg at SSR Studios, and I went and sang through the Neve. Oh, nice. Uh, through U87 and through the Neve. And I have to say, it sounded lovely, apart from the guy that was singing was out of tune, which was annoying. Um, me, obviously. <laughs> um, and I, did a, I set my session up in Pro Tools before we started, and my experience of using Pro Tools in the studio was as if somebody had grabbed my forearms and was stopping or countering every single move that I made. So I'd like go and move the mouse, and it was just like, oh, gosh. And because... All the dynamics nothing, were wrong. Yeah. But nothing to, do with, nothing to do with Pro Tools being wrong or anything being wrong. It's just like, like the keyboard was on the Neve in front of me. The mouse was off to the side on a mouse mat. So it, all, all, the, all the relationships were wrong. The size of the keyboard was different to the one I usually use. The mouse tracked at a different speed. And it just felt really, and the, the screen was much further away, and it just felt really, really, really slow and really mm. frustrating. That's, in, that's interesting you should mention that, because one thing I've done to counter that now is I just have one of these and one of these. So whatever laptop or computer I'm working on, I just take those with me, and then that's Perfect. what I get used to. Same because here. That, Same that'll here. speed everything up more than any other thing. That will speed stuff up because you're used to that ergonomic kind of fit, and you, you'll lay it out and set it up right. in the way that I, you always do it. Can, can I do dislike that. I can hear you, Rich, yes. Um, I took a long, uh, I'd say a couple of weeks to get used to the Apple trackpad, but now I love it, and I'm very happy that the interface on my laptop and the interface on my desktop are basically the same, and I can use the same set of gestures with each but it did take a learning curve to get there yeah mm. but if you're learning something that, that that is then actually you know going to be consistent across platforms it makes sense i mean i i'm still I, i'm still fighting you with the key commands i think you know there are certain things like stop play record things that you want to hit quickly they have to be consistent across all software i don't really care what i'm using it has to be the same otherwise if i'm in creative mode i go oh, i need to stop there i need to go here and i have to think hold on no that's the wrong one I, it just blows everything out of the water and i, I suppose well, i could use a controller yeah, for but that. Pretty much everything starts and stops with either a space bar or the zero key on the numeric keyboard at this point. Mm. It's, the problem is a numeric keyboard is, uh, you know, you don't have them, do you, on laptops or on those little app, uh, those little uh, oh, Bluetooth no. keyboards. And like something like Cubase, for instance, heavily relies on the trackpad. The trackpad is like where the action is for the, for the transport control. So, you know, um, like I'm up here now, I'm doing some, I've been doing some work. So sort of, I'm up at my parents' house. So I, I'm just doing some work on my laptop on Cubase with a blooming dongle, which drives me wild. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, dongle, it set me off again. Oh, easy, easy. Just... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Right. Deep no, breaths. So down. yes, deep breaths. Uh, so it is a bit annoying, really, that 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 you don't have a. You know, you can get a little um, dongle. They show the dongle. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it is a bit annoying that 
some software is so heavily reliant on the keypad, and yet they are almost going, you know, laptops, as I say, certainly in the Apple land, you know, unless you've got the wired keyboard as well, you just don't have those yeah, very important so. controls. Well, I do, the trick is don't use the numeric keys, I guess. You just got to kind of stick to the to the other stuff, and then you know, hopefully that'll uh, that'll get you through. But yeah, that's um, that is a good point. Um, uh, we do have an ad to play, which I probably should do um, because afterwards I'm going to announce the winners. <laughs> I'm going to announce the winners of the competition. I could just see Dave Spears holding up a whole okay. load of dongles there. I'll give you a little bit of it. There he is. Look at that. Three, uh, two eye locks and something else. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's got, Gaz is getting angry now. Okay, right. Well, I'm going to play uh, our ad because I want to say thank you to our sponsors. So, of course, um, this is thank you very much to Isotope. Assuming it actually plays. There we go. Isotope and Trash 2. Now, Trash is... An incredibly powerful dual-stage dual stage distortion, multi-stage, multi-band distortion, versatile, lots of capabilities, subtle, warm, and extreme. You can go for real m- totally mashed up to really quite subtle, almost vintage-type tones. Uh, it goes beyond distortion. It's got formant, vowel, vowel formant capable dual filters, delay and dynamics module, convolution engine, so you can actually have spaces around it as well. Uh, you can download a free 10-day demo of iStack Trash today, right now. Isotope.com forward slash trash. Uh, we thoroughly recommend that you do. Uh, and there's a Trash 2 cookbook now available for creative recipes using Trash 2 in your mix. The Trash 2 is actually on sale at the moment uh, for 149 Oh, no, it's just, you just missed that. I can't say that because it's actually finished on June the uh, 26th. Uh, but really well worth checking out the Trash side of things. Isotope are basically, you know, it's a powerful era of audio mangling distortion experimenting. Because as we know, we all love to do that in an environment and a single plugin that allows you to do all of those things in one place is really amazing. I mean, as we know, Isotope stuff is generally very well made, you know, really nicely. Yes, and we do have a competition winner. Last time, I think I asked, um, how do you like to create distortion yourself? I have a winner called Ika... No, I'm going to have to pronounce this. Ikarugamu. Uh, five days ago on the YouTube uh, post. My favourite way to distort is just to keep turning uh, the, the damn sound up, resample, then up again, then get a microphone, the less high quality, better. Sample that sound back in via the mic with a piece of greaseproof paper over the woofer for extra rattle. Mix the dry and crushed signals, rinse and repeat if necessary. Obviously, Trash 2 would save me so much time and consequently sanity. I think that actually is that we have to make him the winner because otherwise he's, um, he's going to lose his mind. So basically, uh, we want to say thank you to him for winning. And this week, uh, Isotope are going to give away again another copy of Trash 2, in fact. And what I wanted to do is what's the most musical thing you found in the trash or dumpster or or bins, depending on your continent? Something that is most useful musically to you that you've just that's, that's been thrown away by somebody else that you've found. It's kind of slightly linked to the first uh, competition which was um, what's the worst thing you've thrown away accidentally but so yeah what just leave them in the comments below uh, either on the uh, sonic state pages or on the youtube uh, post of this link uh, of this video leave a comment below and we will pick uh, a winner and the isotope fairy will bestow you with isotope trash to uh, um, into an account so uh, you can win so once again we thank you very much and in the meantime get down there and download your free copy isotope.com forward slash trash right um, we seem to have lost Mark I'm guessing he's probably crashed so he'll I'm sure he will try and join us 
as soon as he possibly can. Uh, oh, no, we have him back now. That's all right. So we can get... Right, I, I have to scroll down again to find out what the next thing was. Oh, yeah, this was interesting. There was this... Um, basically, there was a topic on performance anxiety. This just, <laughs> I know this might not be a very comfortable topic, but um, there was a chap who posted, he said, I'm... I'm I wanted to. Uh, I've been asked to join a band again. Uh, I haven't been in a band for years, and I thought, oh yeah, I fancy. It. Then I remembered how, how nervous I used to feel before gigs, and what. Well, obviously, that's you know quite debilitating for a lot of people, and it, it can be for many people, including actors, all sorts of people who perform. Um, you can get these really crippling sort of feelings of worry and what have you, and it's something that's quite common to performers. And I'm going to have to start with Rich if he's there because pure, he's just played to twenty five thousand people, including several million probably live TV viewers. Do you get nervous before gigs like that, Rich, or do you kind of you, you pass that these days? Um, I don't get nervous if I know what I'm doing. Ah, it's that. I get scared to death if I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's that dream. It's like the dream of finding yourself in town without any trousers on, isn't it? It's uh, uh, or, <laughs> well, not yeah. exactly, but something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have that dream as well. It's bizarre. I have a dream that I'm. I've been. I, I know people in bands who play and can perform and do all those things, uh, of which I cannot. And I've just asked. Can you just come on and play um, keyboards for this uh, for this um, set? Because we, uh, you know, Dave's not here, or whatever. Can you? And I don't know anything. You know, I have no, and I'm just standing there, and it's one, two, three, four, and that's my that's my biggest fear. So I'm guessing, yeah, that, that really even wouldn't worry me that much. It's just that if you go on stage with people of the caliber I'm going on stage with, there's really not a lot to worry about. I guess if the worst comes to the worst, you could just not play and, and they'd probably cover for you. <laughs> no, no, I have to play. The stuff sure. I play is integral uh, textually to the music. But, but um, <laughs> no, it's just having confidence in the people you're with in the overall situation. Right. And that just sounds like, I mean, that's, but that sort of thing, it's that, you know, oh my God, what's happening? You know, the keyboard stopped working or what is this I'm playing? I don't understand what's going All on. All of that has happened. Yeah. All of that has Happened. It doesn't worry me. When I was in college, we had a choice between playing a 15-minute jury in front of the entire piano faculty in a tiny little room where you could hear their pencils on the paper while you were playing or playing five minutes in front of the entire student body of piano students. And I always chose the five minutes. Right. In front of more people. Yeah, because I don't care about that. It's just fifteen minutes where I can hear their pencils go, and that'll drive me nuts. Yeah, I mean, you've got and you've got some energy, haven't you, when you've got an audience like that? It helps, and I and I'm only going to play the five minutes I know I can really play well. You know, the piece that I play the best. Right, and you can choose it. Right, so the difference. But I should also say I've been playing professionally since I was fifteen years old. Right. So the intimidation aspect is sort of not what it is maybe for most people i don't know most people but you know sure i got you i know but does anyone else do i mean gaz you're probably playing the the next largest venues at the moment yeah with uh, with carl Hyde. and and also i mean because i remember when you did the popeya uh, thing where it was incredibly technical yes. really really difficult to play i mean you know yeah. what you must have been bricking it frankly i mean surely uh, yeah, <laughs> that was uh, that was a very tricky show. Uh, that was very tricky for numerous reasons. So yeah, and, and like the, the you know that was like an opera in Paris and on the uh, the the premiere night, you know, the opening night, and all these kind of you know the prime minister was there and lots of lots of lots and lots of sort of 
that Great and Good of Paris had come out for that night. So there was an awful lot of pressure. And um, But, you know, good old adrenaline does kind of really kick in. And it's a, it's an amazing experience then. You know, it's akin to surfing, isn't it? You know, it's you really are just kind of riding on a kind of special energy that is uh, that 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 is the thing that kind of gets you through those kind of situations um uh as rich says you know knowing the stuff is the is the key and um i do have uh you know i i have learned that lesson the hard way <laughs> uh try to bluff things but you know uh it, it's being prepared you know they what's it this the six p's they they say don't they it's uh prior preparation prevents piss poor performance <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. sounds like a show title right there <laughs> um i know that's interesting i mean preparation yeah i mean it's like i I, I mean, I still get nervous before this show sometimes because there's a live aspect to it. And yeah. when the technology starts to fall to pieces or uh, I have got nothing prepared or I'm, I suddenly realise that I haven't prepared anything, sort of like this week's show, actually, <laughs> to a degree, I still get that kind of feeling. I think the last time I felt that, I mean, because I don't really perform live, was when we were at NAM and we were doing this live uh, broadcast from the Persona stage. And there was this guy going... You know, three, <laughs> two... And... And then it's kind of like, oh, my God, here we are. Whereas I'm completely in control of this, so I can switch the stream off if I absolutely want to or if something goes, you know, and also it's fairly informal. But, I mean, that situation where you're just playing live and it's, it's a nightmare. I mean, Mark, do, what about you? I mean, do you find that you just live in the moment and doesn't bother you or do you get nervous? Because, I mean, you've done it from a couple of different positions, haven't you? It's like from the tech point of view or yeah, from all and, different and from the performance really. point of view. So, I mean, from, in terms of performance, the most recent things I've been doing is public speaking. And I actually really like that. And it's just an opportunity for me to have a massive monologue. <laughs> <laughs> so I find it less scary. Than, I mean, the, really, the scariest thing for me is having a, commun- having a conversation with a, a small group of people. That absolutely terrifies me. But if I'm on stage delivering a monologue, that's okay. Uh, with Duran Duran, the only thing I had to do was press a button with play on it at the right time to get the backing tracks to start at the right time and to make sure I'd loaded. So I, I do get a bit muddled up between names of songs and things, and I'd sometimes get Save a Prayer muddled up with Planet Earth. I don't know why, because they're completely different songs. Yeah. But it's just because the letter P was in the title. And then occasionally I would like... So I had all the samples for all the different songs on different discs, and I'd put the discs in for the song in a second machine ready to start that machine after the last song had finished. And occasionally I'd suddenly realise that I'd loaded the wrong song. And then uh, there's a lot of anxiety in that, in, in the, shit, the wrong song's in the thing. I've got to find the discs for the right song, put um, the discs in, find the right sequence, make sure all this... And then that becomes very panicky. But um, um, yeah. And then before that, playing in bands, I, I had this really... Uh, clever uh, system for playing in bands. It was called drinking masses and masses of beer. <laughs> so sometimes I could almost not stand up and I'd go on stage absolutely trolleyed. And then, uh, and but then the right. adrenaline, the, once the adrenaline kicks in, you suddenly find yourself with some clarity. So, and then you sort of, uh, it's almost like it sobers you up, actually. Self medication. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Self medication. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. I mean, if anybody's frightened about 
Oh, who we lost this time? That was oh, Mark. Oh dear, we're having bad Skype uh, traffic today, Dave. Uh, Dave, terrible. it's your turn now. <laughs> that was that sounded like we were about to get a really sage bit of wisdom. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I was waiting for that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know all of the above really. I, uh, I think, like Gaz said, it's dependent on you knowing the stuff. As long as you, as long as you know, and also as Rich said, if you've got you know really competent musicians standing next to you. Also, it's instrument dependent. I can get away with murder on the drums by just looking at everybody else and going, why are you doing it wrong? Because I'm louder than everybody else. <laughs> with delicate pieces of keyboard work, you're not going to get away with that. You drop a bum note and it's going to be really noticeable. But, uh, yeah, I don't... When I have to do demos and stuff, I don't, I don't generally get nervous, obviously because I know all about our stuff. But there's one, there's only one thing that's happened to me where actually I realised. You remember when we did the Nam stuff with Wakeman? Yeah. We did kind of one in the morning and one in the afternoon, and the morning one it just went so well, and we didn't rehearse anything. We just completely bluffed our way through it all. But it was an interesting conversation between him and I, trying to involve the audience. That when it got to the afternoon, it was literally like five minutes before we were due to start. I thought oh, I hope this is as good as the morning one. And then all of a sudden, that kind of, the fear took over. Ah. There is a certain element of me that loves that. I do like that. I really like, I hate to admit this, but I really like being in the company when you can introduce something that causes a pregnant pause, that awkwardness. I love to see how people react sometimes. You right, know, I'll cr- remember that next time you do it to me. Yeah, it's a cruel thing. I've never done it to you, but... Um, no. Uh, well, interestingly enough, no, but the other thing is, obviously, when you po- point a camera in front of people, which we are, want to do quite often, particularly when you bring them here and go, right, OK, we're ready for you now, and they sort of see all of this and the lights and the cameras and stuff, some people really do go to pieces, and some people work very well. You can tell they're nervous, but they can still pull it together, and that's quite interesting how that happens, because um, that, that's that's a really... Uh, that can be very uh, a very powerful thing, because... At the, it's not the moment. It's what you're doing then is recorded forever and you don't get the chance to go back and change all the bits. And that's a slightly different sort of dynamic. So that doesn't work. I've seen terrible pieces of stage. It's terrible, you know, instances of stage fright with some pro people who are, obviously I weren't mentioned, but I mean, in some cases, you know, would actually walk off stage mid-performance and be sick. That's just must be, speak that just must be awfully debilitating. I mean, I can't imagine what that must be like. It's just uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, you know, so why are we doing this tour? Or what, you know? But it's. I think it can, just ha- of, it, can it can just happen though, can't it? I mean, it really yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, very, very uh, totally debilitating and quite frightening actually for an onlooker to watch particularly if you 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 have to kind of you know work with that person and support their every kind of move you're like okay so how am i going to handle them tomorrow or it's a very weird thing yeah it is indeed i think we have everybody back mark you you've returned i don't you were about to finish your story i was just saying about toastmasters and the one thing that it taught me to do is to actually be at peace with people when i'm in front of them and not doing anything that's the worst thing for me. When I, if I'm doing something, my mind's active and I'm involved in something. If I'm doing something with my hands, playing the guitar, any of that good stuff, and I'm, I'm just in the space of doing that. But the moment I stop doing things, if I'm standing in front of people, my mind starts wearing away. Oh, my God, I wonder what I look like. And, oh, God, what if the people in the front row are, are looking at 
my whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I just end up in this kind of whole uh, uh, analytical yeah, nightmare of self-analyst analysis yeah and then just going like oh my god i just want to get i just want to run away and at that point the hour talk that you've prepared goes by in about 15 minutes i had that happen to me i I, (laughs) when i was um i was doing a lot of sound uh for some cd-rom games and that was kind of my thing it was after i'd I'd done a lot of music i was hired our company was asked to go to australia and talk to a multimedia conference and do these things and i had to, to, to do all these demonstrations of kind of different bit rates of sound and you know if you make it like this and make it like this and if you're going to make it low bit rate then eq like this and do this and i did have this whole talk and they flew me all the way over there and put me up for seven days while i was there or at least, no, yeah no not seven days five days i stayed a couple of days at a friend's house and um and i went there and i did the talk and it was supposed to be an hour and i just finished in 20 minutes because I was so nervous. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, God, now I really got... And it was like, it went all right, and nobody seemed to mind, but, you know, they could have been pretty hardcore. So, no, you have to go back up. I want I want another 40 minutes. Or I, it, was, it was something like that. It was it was a significantly shorter than it was supposed to be because I was so nervous. I think I could probably handle that I better, think I'm, better now. On that I'm the opposite. Six. They're normally begging me to stop. <laughs> Four hours <laughs> later, and I'm getting into analogue synthesis, and they just come back. Can we go to the toilet now, <laughs> yeah. please? Brilliant. <laughs> On the being sick thing, I think, I mean, I I go around the place, I, I will admit to this, on some, you know, if there's an, a, a social event coming up, I will actually wander around my house retching, like this, and like, and like, it's like being punched in the stomach, I get so uptight about anything social, I have a real hard time with it, um, but not so much with performance, which is kind of weird, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, it is. It is strange. Well, I suppose the thing is with performance, you are completely in the driving seat, aren't you? And it's it, yeah. it, it's actually it's not necessarily about it's how bad can you up? Uh, excuse me, uh, because because <laughs> it, it, well, you can obviously you could, you, you could yes you could yeah. you could yes, almost excuse me. I'll, I'll, I'll try I'll beep that, but I uh, beg your pardon, everybody. Um, that was supposed to be char- but you know. So I the point it. is, is when you're in charge, you know, if I'm playing this piece of music, I know that I can play it this long. I could extend bits. But if you're in a social situation where people can be uh completely you know they can throw something at you that you don't know how to respond to then yes of course but that's that's a you know it, I, was a, I did i do weddings as well so i was a civil celebrant at a wedding i was actually quite nervous about that because that's somebody else's life that you're participating in so if i'd made some horrific yeah. mistake at their wedding then it would it could have completely ruined their day and then it's not just that day that's their whole life so I'm very nervous about doing them, and especially with christenings as well, because like you, you know, I'm, I'm... <laughs> saying something, shouting something in, inappropriate to a screaming yeah, child. At... <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean not that, but just it's you know that child sort of that's a real special moment for a child when they're given its and when it's given its name in, in yeah, our culture, sure. it's very important. And to <laughs> that up would oh no, oh! <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, sorry, sorry. Yes, it's my fault. What's I started the, what it What do you have to do yours anyways? <laughs> yeah, anybody else want to have a go? No, don't. No, it's all right. <laughs> uh, um, yes. It's, oh, sorry. I'm it's sorry. always yeah, but it is. But it's an interesting subject, and and uh, there's lots of advice there. Again, this is the fabulous. It's the Reddit um, page, which is uh, we are the music makers. And there's loads of really good topics there, and there's lots of really good advice here. And you know things like you know from just get a little bit drunk to green teas to uh, hardcore psychotropic drugs to all sorts of things. So you've got the whole gamut of uh, of, um, of advice there, and it's uh, generally 
generally helpful people. Uh, as your head says, I have hours and hours of editing ahead. Actually, it's no problem because, as I've said before, I listen to the podcast back at uh, one and a half sp- time speed, so it's actually half as long. Uh, apart from the this live YouTube version, which goes straight on YouTube without any editing, because to edit oh, to edit and render an hour's worth of um, of video is uh, a, a long, <laughs> quite a long process. That is something else. Um, have I got any other topics? I think there was something else. Oh, concept albums. Oh, this was good. I, if we can quickly get this one in, this was great because um, this was essentially um, came from. Uh, now, see if that's this guy. This is uh, Michael van Ossenbruggen, which is kind of li- linked in a certain way because uh, he got into music making for, uh, because he was burnt out in the business that he did, and he's just got this absolutely bonkers collection of synths. And there was a, uh, this great film about ten minutes about him talking about how he got into it and what music did and. You know, the transition from his working life from his burnout to making music. It's a film by, um, yeah, if I can pronounce his, right, his name right, by Thomas de Rijk, uh, who's also Dutch. Uh, synth.nl, basically. Uh, but some of the stuff I'll, I'll go to, I mean, this guy has got the most ridiculous set of, um, uh, if I've got it here somewhere, studio. It's just absolutely bonkers. If I switch to that uh, and probably... Uh, make it bigger now this is just you know this is one of the pictures but if i go about i can probably then we've got uh, that's one side of the room there's the other side of the room there's an enormous module i mean pretty much one of everything as far as i can tell but it was a, it's an interesting piece um just, jesus look at that dave you must even you must think no, that's excessive of, well no i looked at this and thought mm, there's a challenge <laughs> But I want to know, if he's watching this, I want to know what brackets he uses to hang stuff off the walls, because ah. that's quite impressive. <laughs> that, is, that is a very specialist. That just shows just how addicted you are. How can I get more of those in here? That's interesting. Well, yeah. it needs to happen. It does, yeah. It's an interesting. But the con- the thing about this was he's I made an album called Apollo, which is uh, it goes through the various stages of uh, the launch and then stage one and then in space and whatever, and, and the moonwalk and the whole thing was because he was uh, born around the time that the moon landing was made and the sort of looking back retrospectively at. Um, uh, at the Earth, and that was the, the sort of we went to the moon, but in fact, what we saw was the Earth in space, which was kind of a very powerful thing. And he's made a he made this um, solo uh, concept album, and uh, I just thought that was really an interesting idea for, about concepts. Has anybody ever worked on them? I'm guessing, Gaz, you, your band is kind of has a sort of element of <laughs> prog about it. Oh yes. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe concept albums are something uh, that you might be yeah. totally familiar with. That's the only kind of album that's worth doing, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, people say, oh, concept albums are pretentious. But then I'm thinking, what is pretentious about trying to make something work, you know, in a whole bunch of tunes together and designing an idea and trying to make them all fit into it? That, I think in a way it's more pretentious to take a bunch of random songs and stick them together and assume you can make that work. Do you see what I'm saying? I yeah. think it's a... I think like a focused, a focused thing. It's really cool, you know. I love, I love that. I love it. Um, a lot of my favorite albums are concept albums, really. And I mean, you know, you look at like like the classic concept album is Dark Side of the Moon. Now that is actually a, a brilliant concept, and it and it works as a, as an album. Um, you know, I know there's probably some people out there who don't like it, but I think the majority probably would 
would agree it's a it's, it's a probably, great album it's probably one it, of the most famous concept albums ever isn't it yeah yeah you know so, i mean i think if you you know i think if you're going to use it have a concept then it's worth having a good concept um, yeah well, there's the tricky part <laughs> isn't it that's yeah well yeah we uh, we did an album uh, back in 2000 called soft eject and soft eject had a concept in that it was um we had a uh, a design for the album in that uh, I wanted the album to uh, represent the yin yang. In that, if you were to if you were to cut the yin yang in half and take away two sides, side side A would be uh, you know, well, in, in in our case, we did side A, which pre- predominantly light with a hint of darkness, and side two was a dark, much darker with a hint with a hint of light coming in, and. And in order to sort of reinforce this, this concept, to kind of create a concept, we um, we we created little bells across uh, across the album every quarter of an hour to act as kind of uh, markers. And we made the album exactly an hour long, uh, comprising of two halves of exactly half an hour each. And yeah. um, so this isn't like a you know as a concept it's quite a simple concept but it was actually very nice because it meant that when we were fitting all the material in we'd created this form in which to work within so uh so you know it's a simple concept but it was really helpful for us because it so, gave in, us some, in, in some ways i mean could it be seen as a cop-out in, in some, rather than a body of no, not, not it's, it's like a musical crutch in a way because if you've got not a concept and you just you know you've got like these are the songs i've written in this period of time they have a coherence that i've that, that's just joined together by you know my where my head's at and all of those things is that enough because some of those classic albums are not necessarily concept they're just a snapshot of that person or the band's where they are headspace wise is more maybe more difficult to do because you've got less rules to deal with i don't know is that uh, is that a valid point hmm. it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting point i think um uh yeah and, and and probably a lot of albums retrospectively i'm sure people will look at albums in fact i'm thinking about some things that i've worked on as well and and you sort of realize that there are maybe there are threads and, and themes and, you know, virtually concepts there that you didn't necessarily be aware of when you were doing it, but um, to do with where your head's at and whatever, you know, um, where your particular songwriting was going at that, at that point in time. But, um, you know, for years and years and years, the, the idea of the concept album was, uh, you know, that, that kind of the punk idea that, you know, that it was a, a whole load of... Uh, nonsense. Bo- nonsense. <laughs> Can't, no, no, I can't say that, can I? No. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, they didn't. And the Sex Pistols never made a record called The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which was a huge concept album either, did they? Right? <laughs> ah, well, that, that's, yeah, that's quite funny. Uh, Mark, have you worked... I mean, uh, do, do, do you concur with that? I mean, it's an interesting thought that uh, the, the whole kind of idea of concept I'm learning. Art. I'm learning how to write books, actually. I mean, having written some books and and so on and and having written another book which is absolutely all over the place and so chaotic i'm learning from the ground up how to write a book outline and this is a new a new thing for me it's a complete revelation that if you have an outline first then you've got a structure to write into and then you just kind of bolt everything into that and i see concept albums as being like when you've got a concept you've got an outline you've got somewhere to put things and then that becomes a way of structuring and helping to structure things. And uh, 
if I'm writing music for film, I'm going to do some self-promotion now, actually. Yeah, I go on, why the hell not? I just wrote a piece of music for The Big Issue, which is, or The Big Issue Foundation, which is a magazine here in England for homeless people. And um, <laughs> the guy that made the film presented me with a film about this chap called Ollie, and I really felt like Ollie's story was the concept that I was writing that piece of music around so i had to sort of get inside inside of the story and then to sort of write what i felt captured and conveyed the mood and emotion of the story and that for me is just i love doing that it's so brilliant to like have somewhere to go with something and then have it's almost like somebody says oh i'm going to create the outcome for you and you've got to live into that outcome and then it becomes i don't know it becomes it just becomes much more exciting and much easier to work towards so if i i think i don't know i think concept albums are good actually some of my favorite albums are concept albums i think that's fair enough and i think that's good i know i think you know we've talked about creative limitations and in some respects it kind of gives you a narrative to work to um we seem to be dropping like, yes that? absolutely um, Rich. What Mark just described is very much like writing for film, and I too find it extremely liberating to have the parameters defined for you emotionally by some other piece of artwork that's already been decided on, and then you get to write to that. That's fantastic environment to work in because it frees you from the ultimate, you know, sort of ambiguity of how do I start. And further, I'm amazed that he wrote The Logic of Attraction without an outline. <laughs> yeah, amazed, impressed, and just blown away. That was kind of just Amazing. random, like talking into a dictaphone in the car. I mean, if there was any kind of outline, the outline or sort of structure for it came after I'd written the written it, and it was. But that's where I'm at with the one I'm writing at the moment. Right. It's just everything is all over the place. I've got like 26 chapters. And I don't know what order to put them in. <laughs> I suppose I that's the side for a year and a half, and I keep like going, "I'll oh, move that around there, move that around." If I hadn't, if I'd had the outline first, it would be so much easier. Ah, and you get See, an idea funny, of the note. I, I have an outline in notebook. <laughs> One thing that gets me about uh, concept albums, though, is that like they've largely vanished for the last however many years, and you know, and they say, "Oh, it's tantamount to commercial suicide," that kind of thing. But yet, you look at some of the biggest albums of all time, and they're very much concept albums. So I think that the general public actually do quite like a, co a good concept album. Well, just, just I mean, calling it's, well, well just ca just calling it a concept album and naming it yeah. as such doesn't necessarily mean that the, if it, if you don't do that, it's not a concept album. I mean, you, you, it just gives you yeah. a construct, doesn't it, to hang it off, which is, mm -hmm. uh, I suppose, the idea. How, how about the concept of an album? Yeah, the concept of an album, yes. It's going to be 10 tracks. It barely exists anymore. It's going to be 10 tracks, it and it's going to be 70 minutes long, and um, that's my concept. Good grief. Mm -hmm. to, I, didn't get to contribute, I didn't get to contribute this earlier, but to me, the last thing that originated as a concept album and was carried through to its completion that actually worked as a concept was Tommy. Hmm. We're talking about 1960. Interesting. I think I would say that... Everything else to me is a collection of songs that was pasted together and attempted to create a simple vision out of some things that were not to serve a single idea. And that's what John Lennon says in the show prep uh, link 
about Sergeant Burst. Ah. Show prep link. Which one was that? You guys may have it. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember seeing that one. <laughs> I John besides the songs Sergeant Pepper and Reprise and maybe one other thing on the album. Oh, the way it tied to a little help from my friends. Besides that, he said every one of these songs could have been on any Beatles album. Yeah. It's just you find a path, yeah, but then that probably takes you a bit longer to get the order and what have you. What about but what Jeff was amazing Tom? about Tommy was that he envisioned it as a total thing from the beginning and wrote everything towards that aim. Yeah. I thought Jethro Tull's Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die was a good album. That was a concept album, wasn't it? It is. Yeah. It's a good album. Yeah. I will pass on that. I have no, no knowledge of such things. All I know that about was... Jethro Tull is a bloke carrying sticks on the front of a uh, album cover that was, um, I think, parodied quite heavily by, or, or um, by um, Monty Python, that's, by Terry Gilliam. That's Zeppelin Four, isn't it? That was it. <laughs> There you go. I'm glad to say I am underqualified when it comes to um, concept prog albums. <laughs> Hands up. That's why I was hoping to be educated. So I think... ah, I'm working on one now. Yes, I, I, yeah, but, you are. But I can't tell you. Actually, I'm working on two. I'm just about to finish one, which is mine, and then I'm working on one with another band, and I'm really sad that I can't say anything about it because when it comes out, you guys will freak. Ah. It is going to be unbelievable and very closely related to what our lives. Oh wow! And I'm going to be. I'm a very small part. Wait a minute! Is it an album of uh, podcast quotes? (laughs) It's just back to back. (laughs) Yeah, back to back. Can you imagine how how many sales that would generate? Gosh, we would all be well. We'd be able to retire with yachts and stuff. I'm sure. <laughs> What's shocking about this podcast is if you put it back to back, it would last several uh, weeks, wouldn't it? Uh, a, a, very, odd hours. a very long time. No, more than that. Um, we've done, uh, we're on, oh gosh, where are we? We're at, uh, well, 320. So that's 320 hours. So, so yeah. we could do the maths of that. So if you were doing that on working days, 4 8 to 32, that'd be eight. Uh, oh gosh. um 40 that'd be 40 days so a month wow no longer that's That's isn't it 40 days 40 working Um, months so 40 so 40 working yeah but 40 working days would equate to uh five eight to 40 eight weeks I loved it in our Sonic Touch show. Somebody mentioned, like at Christmas time, just after Christmas, that that they'd watched every single Sonic Touch that we'd done, and I think we'd done about twenty odd episodes at that point over the Christmas period. And I found it quite, I found it quite amusing that 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 poor person, me and Nick, had been like their Christmas kind of um, their only company. (laughs) (laughs) Bless them. (laughs) Oh well, that's great. Um, Yeah, it was good. Uh, right, well, there, there, there's very little concept to this particular podcast, but I do feel that we're ending to we we should be heading towards the final fade out uh, to just to sort of uh, just to pull it together into some sort of concept. So I want to thank everybody for joining us, uh, and we've also got a little bit of a play out because uh, Gaz has uh, uploaded a video of uh, of of a concept, Yay! a track from his concept uh, album, uh, yes. which is called. I'm just trying. I've got to scroll back to the top of my show notes. It's, a- it's called. What's the track called? 
The track is called Born Taurus Man, and it is a concept song in a way. It's a kind of, uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a kind of analog, uh, uh, an analogy type song where it's based on a First World War kind of scenario. But it was a lot to do with um, what's been going on in Am- uh, Af- and it is in Amsterdam. I mean, Afghanistan. <laughs> well, Am- Amsterdam uh, and Afghanistan are actually intrinsically linked in many ways, but uh, but oh. <laughs> not in the way that we. Um, all right, well, I'll play that out. Uh, I won't play the whole thing, but I'll play a bit of it out. And uh, But in the meantime, I want to say thank you very much to everyone for joining us. We'll start over there. Mark Tinley, like being... Uh, thanks for hanging in there with all of our um, Skype traffic nonsense, and I appreciate that. Every As with all of the, our guests and listeners, I hope it's not been too disjointed for you. So thanks, Mark. Um, you're very welcome. And I'm going to really do some more self-promotion, and I'm just going to click in the... Uh in the chat window and give people a link to go and watch that Big Issue film because I'm very proud of it. Uh, okay, all right, where is it? There I thought it was great. Big was really Issue, great. scroll down and watch the video of Ollie's song. Right, brilliant, thank you very much. We will check that out. So uh, I'll scroll up again. There we go. Ah, oh, it's gone. Been and gone. Uh, well, thank you, Mark. And also thank you to Dave Spears uh, once again. Um, again, ditto to you. Thank you for, for hanging in there, even though your video's frozen. And I hope I'm going to get a good buy out oh, of you. <laughs> oh, I've yeah, got a good buy out of you. Oh, no, there he is. He's back again. <laughs> it was just you're practising your statue moves, aren't you? You're, uh, uh, that, is that the pause you were talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm anyway. going to yeah, come down and stand in, in Bath City Centre going like that. Oh, and expect people to give me money. By the way, Nick, Murray is losing. Oh, that's bad to know, but he can't be losing that badly. Oh, oh we didn't want to know that. Wimbledon. I'm going to be going to that shortly. Anyway, thank you very much. And also, Rich Hilton, who's got, he's got his video back on. We better get to him quick, because uh, otherwise he might waft away. You have to, you'll have to say something, and your video window will, uh, will magically appear in one of two squares, and then my um, reactions will have to be... Um, uh, I'm not. Rich is not making any noise, so perhaps not. I'm. I'm very grateful. Ah, there we go. Thank you for putting up with this. Thank you for hanging in there, Rich. And uh, once again, congratulations on your fabulous Glastonbury performance with uh, Niall and Sheik. And I hope the rest of your uh, (laughs) gigs go well. Anyway, your video has gone, but uh, thank you very much. Oh, I'll get the right lower third then. Thank you. And, of course, finally, Gaz Williams. Thank you for joining us as well uh, from uh, um, Welsh Wales. Thank you. Yes, in North Wales. Uh, Deganwy, Deganwy in North Wales. Right, great. Well, guys, thank you very much. And uh, we'll have to pause now. I'm going to hit the, uh, the the play button. And uh, this is, uh, oh, of course, of course must, let's not forget, uh, don't forget that you, you could win your copy of Isotope. It's trash. I'll leave a comment about uh, the most best musical thing you found in the trash, dumpster, bin, skip, uh, insert, um, receptacle of your international receptacle of your choice but it has to have been thrown away by somebody else anyway um thanks again to them for sponsoring the show your free download and also there's a little there's a little twist to that as well actually because the best thing i found in the trash was these two huge long cardboard tubes and one of the sounds i'm pretty sure it's made it into the iris sound library Ah. is uh, a binaural uh i had my binaural microphones in my ears and then these huge long cardboard tubes on my ears and i was spinning round and round and round and a <laughs> car drove past wow did that get in it did Dave? Make it. yeah it did make it, did. it and it sounded yeah, great it's called it? the man wow. with the cardboard ears i think oh, <laughs> excellent well look out for that so anyway thank you very much so yes go and get your copy of trash and leave your comments anyway we're leaving you with um the track from gaz called uh, Born Taurus Man by Rocket Goldstar. Born Taurus Man by Rocket Goldstar. Thank you very much, everybody, for watching.
Here it comes. Honestly, there. 